I left Thursday to go to Lake City, Florida to preach Thursday night, Friday night, and yesterday morning at Salem Primitive Baptist Church, which I've been going to for a long time. In fact, it was my 28th year in a row to be with them. Enjoyed that meeting very much. The Lord, I felt like, blessed the services abundantly. But uh, on the way back home, of course, I had to start turning my mind to what to speak on here this morning. And that can always be a challenge. But I always try to pray to the Lord and ask the Lord for guidance and direction and encourage you to do the same thing for me. And I was thinking about a scene that we find in the fourth and fifth chapters of the book of Revelation, especially chapter 5. And if you go there, you'll find where the Apostle John was in the spirit of the Lord's day. And he saw heaven open and he saw a throne. And there was one who sat upon the throne. And there was a rainbow round about the throne. And then around the rainbow that was around the throne were four and twenty elders, uh, four and twenty seats, and four and twenty elders, and there were four beasts. And we don't want to go into what feel like those represent here this morning, other than the fact that all that was around this throne, as you continue reading the last part of Revelation 4 and then going to Revelation chapter 5, is that they were there to praise him and honor him and glorify his name. The four and twenty elders, uh, they said, Thou art worthy to receive honor and praise and glory. And then we find the four beasts replied basically in the same manner and same way. And they said, All things are created by thee and for thee, and all honor is to thee. That's how the fourth chapter ends. And we find that the four and twenty elders had crowns on their heads, but they took their crowns off, and they cast their crowns at the feet of Jesus. The Lord's people all... All the elect family of God, which is a number that cannot be numbered, will be crowned with righteousness, the imputed righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. There will be no little crowns worn in heaven. The Lord's people will all be there on the same level. They're all redeemed by the same blood. They're all heirs and joint heirs with the Lord Jesus Christ. And here we have the four and twenty elders that had crowns, but when they got in this view here, they take them off. And what they're doing, they cast them at the feet of Jesus and then we find later on, I think in Revelation 15, where the Lord Jesus Christ uh, comes riding upon a great white horse, and upon his head are many crowns. A crown in the Bible like this symbolizes victory. And we know that the Lord has won many victories on behalf of his people. But going back to Revelation chapter 5, we find the apostle John wept because he looked and there was no man found worthy in heaven and earth or beneath the earth, to loose the seals of the book. Now the book's consideration here is not the book of Revelation. And it's not the Lamb's book of life from the foundation of the world. But it's the book of information, a book of revelation within the book of Revelation. And no man was found worthy to loosen the seals of it. But as John was weeping, an angel came to him and said, Weep not, John, for the line of the tribe of Judah hath prevailed. And he looked and he saw a lamb, spelled with a capital L, as it stood. Now, the lamb had been crucified in the crucifixion. His picture is that of a slain lamb. Uh, but here he stood because he's no longer in a grave. He came out after three days and three nights. He was resurrected by his own power and stood triumphant. And so we find where they then begin to say, all those I've been speaking about, Worthy art thou, O Lamb, for thou hast redeemed us by thy blood out of every nation and kindred and tongue. Now they're all praising God here in this scene. 
And then we have some information about angels. He said, I saw the angels around the throne. Now you got the four and twenty elders, you got the four beasts, and now you got angels all around the throne, and they're all praising God. And it said that the angels was ten thousand times ten thousand and thousands of thousands. Ten thousand times ten thousand is a hundred million. So you've got a hundred million angels plus thousands of thousands of more angels. So the point is we don't know how many angels are in heaven. I believe these angels make up God's angelic army that's in heaven. The one that we find over the book of Daniel, chapter 4, verse 35, when Nebuchadnezzar has been cast off his throne and he's been pushed out into the, or cast out into the wilderness there, into the, uh, you know, grazing grass like the ox of the field. His hair grew like bird feathers, his nails like bird claws. And when he's in this shape, in this condition, when God has abased him and God has brought him down, where he sees himself to be nothing, he makes this statement. He says, God works his will among the army of heaven and among all the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or saith unto him, What doest thou? That's one of those powerful verses, I believe, in the entire Bible. In this one verse, we have several very important points of theology. He says, God works his will. Okay, God's got a will. And God works his will among the army of heaven. That army represents somebody. Among the army of heaven and all the inhabitants of the earth. Not a few of them, not some of them, but all of them. That shows an omnipotent God, a God of all power. It also shows a sovereign God because he works his will. He doesn't ask for permission, doesn't ask for advice, he doesn't ask for counsel. He works his will among the army of heaven and among all the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand because, again, he's omnipotent. Neither can they say unto him, What doest thou? That shows his sovereignty, you see. So in this one verse here, this king learned a lot of theology when he was in the wilderness he knew nothing about when he was on his throne. Neology will always trump theology. Just remember that. Neology is always more important than theology out here in the world. So we have a scene in Revelation chapter 5 of 10,000 times 10,000 angels, which is 100 million, and thousands of thousands. And Daniel speaks about an army in heaven that God works his will among them, but also upon the inhabitants of the earth. Now, when the Lord Jesus Christ was in the Garden of Gethsemane, and the apostle Peter came with a sword and cut off the ear of the servant of the high priest, we find that the Lord is going to take that ear and put it back upon that servant, showing his power and his compassion. But he says something to Peter. He says, Peter, put up thy sword. He says, he that liveth by the sword shall die by the sword. And think ye not that I could call upon my father at this very moment, and he would send 12 legions of angels. A legion is about 6,000. 12 of those would be 72,000. He said, I can just call right now to my father and 72,000 angels would leave heaven. Those 72,000 angels would leave heaven and come down here and deliver me if I so desire to do so. I don't need your sword, Peter. <laughs> I don't need your sword. I got an angelic host in heaven that would come if I so desired it. So let's think about those angels here a little bit this morning. You know, in the book of 1 Timothy 5 and 11, 
Paul charges Timothy. He says, I charge thee before God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels which are in heaven. God has an elect people and God has elect angels. In contrast to the elect angels, there are fallen angels. A lot of people don't even think about that. Uh, so when you say somebody's a little angel, you got to, you know, need to let them know which category you're talking about. All right. But anyway, uh, we look in the book of Jude, verse 9, and he says, For the angels which kept not their first estate, he says, hath been cast out, and God has reserved them in everlasting darkness, everlasting change to the judgment of the great day. In 2 Peter 2, 4, Peter says, For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them out, and has reserved them in everlasting chains and darkness to the judgment of the great day. And he's teaching a lesson here, but the point I want out of Jude 9 and 2 Peter 2, 4 is the fact that there was a place somewhere that angels were cast out. They kept not their first estate. They sinned, they transgressed. Just like Adam didn't keep his first estate. Adam was in a place called the Garden of Eden. And Adam transgressed God's law and he was cast out. Remember how God took him out of the garden and he put a flaming sword that turned in every direction in cherubims to keep the way of the tree of life lest he would come back into the Garden of Eden. So you got the elect angels of God and you got these angels that sin and you got these angels um, that kept not their first estate. Now, in the book of 2 Corinthians 11, 13, and 14, Paul said, There are be deceitful workers, false apostles. And he says, No marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Now, he's not light, but he has the power to transform himself into an angel of light. And he says, Therefore, it's no great thing if his angels be transformed into angels, or ministers rather, be transformed into ministers of righteousness. Now, when we look in Matthew 25, the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, you're going to find where he's going to come as a king in his glory. He shall set upon the throne of his glory, and he shall be like a shepherd who finds his sheep from the goats. And he put his sheep on the right hand, he put his goats on the left. And he'll say to the sheep on the right hand, Come, you blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. But those on the left, those goats, he's going to say, Depart from me into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. The devil has his angels like God has his angels. But God, obviously, is very superior to Satan. And God's angels are superior to Satan's angels. But nevertheless, Satan has them. But there's a place for Satan and his angels. And it's in a place called the everlasting fire. And that's where they're going to be placed, where they'll be put one day. But now let's talk about the good angels <laughs> a little bit here. And some, some characteristics, some general information about them. In the Bible, we find that there are two angels that their names are recorded for us. One is Gabriel. He shows up, first of all, in the book of Daniel. Daniel refers to him two times in his writings. And then we come over here to the New Testament, and we find where uh, Gabriel approaches a man by the name of Zacharias. And Zacharias and his wife Elizabeth are ministering in the temple. And the angel brings Zacharias a message. That's one of the responsibilities of, of angels was uh, to bring messages. In fact, that's what the word angel literally means. It means messenger. It means one that's sent. And so he brings a message unto Zacharias. 
And he tells them that their prayer has been heard. Now, this is just like all of us, isn't it? You pray for something, and the Lord answers the prayer, and then when you realize it's been answered, you can't really believe it. Now, they must have been praying for a child, even though the Bible says they were old and well-stricken in years. As I've told you before, the expression well-stricken means they're not just old, they're very old. They done passed the old stage and got to the next stage after that. They're really old. And so they were really old. And it was impossible for them to have a child, but yet they were praying for one. Because the angel says, Thy prayer has been heard. And it says, Elizabeth shall conceive and bring forth a son. Thou shalt call his name John. And we find that that angel's name was Gabriel. Now the second angel we find over here in the book of Jude is one named by Michael the archangel. And it's interesting what it said about him in the book of Jude. Well, it said he disputed about the body of Moses. Now the Lord warns us, and this is something that a lot of people in the world today are either uh, uninformed about or they disregard it, whatever. But the Bible warns us about speaking evil of dignitaries and dignities. Even if you don't like them, it's not right to speak evil of them. And we find here where the devil and Michael the archangel were disputing about the body of Moses. And that's interesting to me too because Moses was buried by God. When Moses died, God buried him. And no man knows where his burial site is except for them today. If they did, it'd be a shrine there. It'd be great idolatry there if that was the case. But no man knows where it's at. But Michael the archangel and the devil were communicating. And they were disputing about the body of Moses. So we have two angels that have names here. Angels, when they appeared on this earth, when they were sent from God, to re, you know, no matter what he sent them for, and we'll look at that a little bit in a minute, then you're going to find that they came usually in human form, in human form of that of a male. Now, we can't find where the Sadducees came to the Lord one time with a resurrection question. You find this in... Uh, Matthew chapter 22 and Luke 20, and you read them both to get the fullness of the information, and you'll find where they came to him with a hypothetical situation. They said there was a woman who had been married before, and her husband died. And according to Moses' law, if they had no seed, which in this case they didn't, she was to marry his brother. And then if he died, no seed, she's to marry another brother if he had another one. This went on for seven. She wound up marrying seven brothers. Now, the question of the Sadducees who didn't believe in the resurrection was, in the resurrection, whose husband shall she have? <laughs> you know, that's a question you'd ask in Hollywood today, right? But anyway, whose husband shall she have? And the Lord said, you do err not knowing the scriptures, nor the power of God. That's the number one reason people err, I believe, in the world today, including myself. Is if I err, it's because I didn't know what the scripture taught about a certain thing, and I ended up in error. If I know what the scripture teaches, it will help keep me from error. That's, that's one of the main points here. He said, you do err not knowing the scriptures, nor the power of God. For in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, for as the angels of God in heaven. Angels don't marry. If you understand that, then you'll understand why uh, people sometimes get off on the wrong foot, wrong track when you go to the book of Genesis. And you find where it says, for the sons of God married the daughters of men. And they want to make the sons of God angels there. Well, the Lord said angels don't marry nor are given in marriage. Angels don't procreate. Okay, that's, angels are a different 
order than that of human beings. And we look in Luke chapter 20, uh, 20, you'll find the same conversation, but the Lord will say, those who are blessed to obtain the resurrection. He says, they shall neither die, they shall die, and they shall not be given in marriage, but are as the angels of God in heaven. Angels don't die. In the resurrection, you're never going to die again. You'll be like the angels of God in that regard. But there's not going to be any marriages in heaven. Marriage is an institution God established for mankind here in this world, in this life, that we might live together in an honorable way in the sight of God and might have order and stability here in society. Now, there's going to be one family in heaven, God's family, and they'll be married to the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible teaches that God's family is referred to as the bride of Christ, and Christ is the bridegroom. And we're all going to be brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ in this wonderful family uh, that we like to speak about that's going to be in heaven some sweet day. So angels don't die. Angels don't marry. Angels are not human. So you go to Hebrews chapter 2 concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. It says, for the Lord uh, took not upon himself the nature of angels, but the seed of Abraham. Uh, see, he had to come in human form because he came to save his people who are human beings. So he likewise took, you know, body of flesh and blood like unto his children. He didn't take on the nature of angels. See, angels have no redeemer. Those angels I spoke about earlier that were cast out, those angels that sinned, they have no redeemer. But thank God you have a redeemer. Thank God the Lord's people have a redeemer in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, uh, some general information here. Now, angels are very, very powerful. All you got to do is just read uh, uh, different places in the Scripture, especially in the Old Testament, and you'll find the power that angels had. You look in Psalms 103, verse 20. It says, Bless the Lord, O ye angels, that excel in strength, that do His commandments, that obey His voice. Three things said about these angels here. They obey the voice of God, they do the commandments of God, and they excel in strength. They're powerful, but they're not omnipotent. There's only one omnipotent being, that's the Lord Jesus Christ, Revelation 19, 6, uh, unto the Lord God omnipotent. It means he has all power. Angels are in subjection to the Lord Jesus Christ. We look in 1 Peter chapter 3. Peter has been given, a, uh, given us a comparison here of baptism, and Noah and the ark, as Noah and the ark was a type of baptism. Baptism is any type of Noah and the ark. And he speaks about the resurrection of Christ. And he says, who's gone into heaven, who's on the right hand of God, of whom all powers and angels and principalities and dominions are subject unto him. All angels are subject to the Lord Jesus Christ. They excel in strength, but they're not omnipotent. Now, they can go from one location to another, and they can do that very swiftly and very quickly, but they're not omnipresent. Now, the Lord is. The Lord is omnipresent. Omni means all. It means he's everywhere present, and he's nowhere absent, you see. Angels are not omnipresent. Now, God can send them from heaven anywhere he wants to, anytime he wants to. It doesn't take them a month and two days to get there. Okay, they get there quickly. They get there almost instantaneously, you might say. All right, now, they're um, not omnipotent, 
they had to be sent. We already mentioned how Gabriel was sent from heaven who? to Zacharias. He wasn't already there. He was in heaven, but God put him on a mission. God sent him there. He hearkened to the voice of God. He did the commandment of God. And he went to where God told him to go and brought the message God told him to bring. Now, they're knowledgeable, very knowledgeable, but they're not omniscient. God's the only omnipresent, omnipotent, and omniscient being that there is. Satan may appear to be that way, but he's not. And the angels may appear to be that way, but they're not. We look in Mark 13, 31 and 32, and you'll find where the Lord says to his disciples, Heaven and earth shall pass away. Heaven and earth shall pass away. But of the day and hour, he says, at that time, no man knoweth, no, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but the Father. The Father is the only one that knows when that time's going to come, when heaven and earth shall be no more. He says, heaven and earth shall be no more, but my word. <laughs> now, God's word is preserved. God's word is inspired, and God's word is preserved. But he says, at that day and hour, when time shall be no more, not even the angels of heaven know when that is. Angels have a lot of knowledge. Angels can go from one location to another swiftly. Angels excel in power, but they're not omniscient, they're not omnipresent, and they're not omnipotent. Only God is. Only God possesses those great and grand and glorious attributes of being omnipotent. And, and gospel ministers, old Baptist ministers, <laughs> love to preach on those attributes of God. God's people need to know that God's all-powerful, and when they do, then they can take to heart more what Paul told the Philippians, that we can do all things through Christ which strengthen us. And you never acquaint God with anything. You've never taught God anything. God's never learned anything. Aren't you glad that you believe in a God like that who doesn't have to be informed? I've never informed God about anything. You say, why did you pray, Brother Ronald? Because God told me to pray, number one. Number two, it pleases God for me to pray to him. Number three, it just kind of helps me. Helps my thoughts, helps my feelings, helps my emotions, helps my life, helps my experience. What about you? A little talk with Jesus goes a long ways as far as I'm concerned. And I do a lot of talking to him. I try to anyway. Uh, anytime you get on a plane, you're going to talk to him more than you would otherwise, I suppose. But anyway, <laughs> but I'd rather get on a plane than a car anytime. I told the good brother who took me to Jacksonville yesterday, I was looking forward to flying over Atlanta rather than driving through Atlanta. I tell you, I've had about all of Atlanta I can take. I just dread the very thought of having to drive through Atlanta. So I'd much rather fly over Atlanta than to drive through Atlanta. All right? But a little talk when Jesus goes a long ways. Somebody says, Brother Lawrence, prayer doesn't really change anything, just makes you feel better. Oh, it makes you feel better. But I can guarantee you, prayer uh, can change things. And you say, well, can you prove that? Well, I wouldn't have said it if I couldn't have. Uh, go to James chapter 5. And we find where James says, The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And he gives us an example of Elijah the prophet. Elijah prayed it wouldn't rain. It didn't rain for three and a half years. Wouldn't you call that effectual? And then he prayed it wouldn't rain. It did rain. Wouldn't you call that effectual? You don't think there's power in prayer? You don't think uh, uh, prayer benefits? Well, certainly it does. There's a lot of mysteries in some of these things. But nevertheless, um, we need to come to the throne of grace. That's a picture of prayer. Hebrews 4.16, let us come boldly to the throne of grace that we might obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. 
you've obtained mercy and you find grace to help in time of need when you come before the throne of his grace and you bow down and you pray to him and you thank him. One of the things you do in prayer is thank God. That's another reason you ought to pray is just thank the almighty God. And we ought to be thankful people today. I'm thankful that I'm still living. I thank, I'm thankful that I still got the health and strength that I have. I'm thankful that I'm here this morning with you. I'm thankful that I have the opportunity of meeting with the Lord in the Lord's house and meeting with the Lord's people around the Word of God and to sing hymns of praise and adoration to His name and to pray to Him. You know, when you pray, you communicate with heaven. You talk to God. God talks to us through His Word, and we talk to God through prayer. And so that's just, uh, it's just scratching the surface, isn't it? Uh, I got a wonderful, beautiful, loyal, dedicated wife. I got four wonderful children and four wonderful daughter-in-law, son-in-laws. I got 11 grandchildren. I, I tell you, when you begin to think about the blessings in life, it, it'll just make you feel better, won't it? It'll just make you feel better. When you get all down in the dumps and one thing and another, just think about your blessings. Somebody just count sheep. I count blessings what I do. I just count blessings. First thing you know, I've done, done run out of numbers. You know, <laughs> that's just that's the way it is. But anyway, getting back here to the subject at hand, uh, what are what are their duties? You might say, or what has God used angels for in times in times past, and I believe even this present day in which we live? Well, there are times that God sent judgments upon people, and He sent those judgments by the hand of an angel. You go read. Genesis 19, you're going to find where two men come to the household of Lot. Now, if you read the earlier chapter, you find where there's three that come to the household of Abraham. One of those three is designated the Lord. Abraham honored God, Lot didn't. God appears to Abraham with those other two. But when you come to the next chapter and there's a visitation to the city of Sodom, there's only two. God didn't make this visit. God sends two angels to make this visit. And they come there and they declare unto Lot why they're there for. And we're going to find where they're going to eventually destroy the city of Sodom and Gomorrah with fire and brimstone and hell from heaven. In, the second, uh, in uh, chapter 24, 2 Samuel, David makes a mistake of taking his eyes off God and numbering Israel. Now, there were times when God uh, told David to number Israel, but this wasn't one of them. He takes his eyes off God, begins to look at his army, his accomplishments, his victories. He wants to know how many is there, so he numbers Israel. After he gets through numbering Israel, God lets him know he's very displeased about it, and he's going to send a judgment upon him. He's got a choice of three different things. David does the wise thing. He says, Lord, I'm going to leave that up to you. I'm going to put it in your hands. He knew God would be merciful and compassionate about it, so he put it in the hands of God. God sent a pestilence that came about through the hand of an angel and uh, forgotten that exactly how many thousand there were that were slain as a result of that. And the angel was about to stretch forth his hand and destroy the city in Jerusalem and God stopped him. Now, again, that shows that God's omnipotent, the angel is not. And God stopped him. If God hadn't stopped him, he would have destroyed the city of Jerusalem. In the 12th chapter of the book of Acts, there's a man by the name of Herod. Herod sits upon his throne on this particular day and he's, ro he's robed in his royal apparel and he starts giving a great oration. And the Bible says the people begin to say as they heard this great oration, they were, they were impressed by it. Uh, they were just astonished by this great oration that Herod gave. 
And the Bible says that God sent an angel and struck him dead. And he struck him dead because he didn't give God the glory. He took all the glory for anything he was and what all he had. He took all the glory. God sent an angel and struck him dead right there. Sometimes God sends angels in terms of his judgment. But also God sends angels sometimes in terms of giving deliverance to his people. And you go back there to the 19th chapter in Genesis, and you'll find when those two came there to where Lot was in Sodom, that while they end up destroying those two cities, they do deliver Lot and his wife and two daughters out of that city. So they went, they judged, they brought destruction, but also deliverance. And they led him by the hand out of there. And the Bible says that Lot lingered. And, you know, uh, I used to think about in, in these terms only, that Lot lingered because his heart was still there. But I don't really think so anymore. The Bible tells me over here in the New Testament that Lot was a righteous man, and his soul was vexed from day to day with the unrighteous ungodliness in that city. I think he lingered because he still had daughters back there and son-in-laws in that city. They didn't all come out with him. And he told them all about that. They, they just uh, didn't believe him. He lost his testimony down there, and they didn't believe what he was saying, that they needed to get out of there. So his wife and two daughters come out. His other daughters are still down there and his sons-in-laws. I think that's why he lingered. Family, some of his family was still there. And then the angels told Lot and them not to look back. And the Lord Jesus Christ brings that to our attention in his ministry in the New Testament. He said, remember Lot's wife. Well, what happened? She took back. She was turned into a pillar of salt. Turned into a literal pillar of salt because she disobeyed God's clear law, God's clear command, God's clear instructions she looked back. But God delivered Lot, her and the two daughters, to begin with. She turned to a pillar of salt, but then he takes Lot and his two daughters on out of there, and you can read the rest of the story. So God sends, sends angels, has sent angels in terms of bringing forth judgments, but also in terms of bringing forth deliverances. We come over to the book of Acts, and you'll find where the apostles had a rough going of it in the early days of their ministry, in the early days of the church. And in Acts chapter 5, we find where the apostles are put in prison. They're beaten and put in prison for preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. But the Bible says that an angel of God came down, opened up the prison doors, and they just walked out. <laughs> then I come over to the 12th chapter. I find where there's two apostles by the name of John, uh, excuse me, James and Peter. And Harry's going to slay James. He's going to put Peter in prison. And Peter is chained. He's between two uh, soldiers. Actually, I think four soldiers. And he's chained. And he's there in that prison. And the Bible says an angel appeared there. And when the angel came, light was in the prison. And we find the angel smiting Peter because Peter had fallen asleep. You know, <laughs> I don't know how he's sleeping in such circumstances as that. <laughs> but Peter just knows James has done been slain. And he's probably going to be next in the morning. I guess he's trying to get one good night's rest left. Uh, and so he's asleep there. And uh, the angel comes and wakes him up. And, and when he did, he says, the chains fell from his hands. He says, uh, gird thyself, put on thy sandals, and come and follow me. And so he followed the angel. And then it says that the gates opened wide. And they came to an iron gate. And the gate opened of his own accord. <laughs> Of course, we know that God's power is what opened up the gate. 
And the angel brings Peter out of that prison. God has sent angels many times to deliver his people. Uh, we sing a hymn after Psalms 34-7. In Psalms 34-7, David writes, says, The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him and delivereth them. Those that fear the Lord show reverential respect to the Lord. says the angel of God encampeth round about them. It means he circles them around, puts his arms around them, and he delivers them. Uh, I'm thankful tonight that I believe that the Lord's people have some angels watching over them that God has sent and God has directed. And God gets the glory for all this, you understand. Now, we find in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ that angels associated uh, themselves with him throughout the entirety of his lifetime. In the book of 1 Timothy 3.16, Paul starts off by saying, Great is the mystery of godliness. Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. There should be no debate about this. There should be no controversy about what he's about to say. The first thing he says is, God manifests in the flesh, that's the virgin birth. Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God manifests in the flesh. It says he was preached on in the world. He was seen of angels. He was believed, preached among the Gentiles, believed also in the world, seen of angels, and seen back up into glory. Now, why did you just insert that little expression, seen of angels? Angels attended the life of Christ from the very beginning. We've already mentioned how that God sent an angel by the name of Gabriel to bring the message. Now, remember, he sends his angels at times to be messengers. And he brought the message unto Zacharias for John the Baptist. But he wasn't through. He comes over here and he brings a message to Mary. It says, Mary, thou art highly favored of God. Thou art blessed among women. And uh, it says, you shall conceive and, and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. So he brings a message here to her. Now, we find that in bringing the message uh, to Zacharias and then to Mary, and I believe he also brought the message to Joseph there in Matthew chapter 1, they're going to bring a message, the angel will bring a message to, uh, to the shepherds. And we spoke about this about three weeks ago. But the shepherds are watching over their flocks by night and out on the hillsides of Bethlehem. And God's going to bring a message to, his, to these shepherds who are considered to be outcasts concerning the arrival of his son. And so the angel comes, and the Bible says the angel was upon them, and the glory of God shone round about them, and they were greatly afraid, and then the angels delivered the message. And the message was, Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this is a sign. You shall find him wrapped in swallowing clothes and laid in a manger. You know, I don't just think about this scene around December the 25th. I don't just think about this scene in the month of December. I think about this scene pretty often. That the Son of God, the Son of Glory who spoke this world into existence, when he's born in this world, there was no room for him and, his, and Mary and Joseph in the inn, and they had to go to a stable. They had to go where they kept animals. They had to go where you could smell the stench without a question. I don't have any doubt about that. They had to go in a, in a place where, uh, you know, some of the places where they kept the animals actually was in caves, and they would cut out uh, in the side of that cave uh, kind of a, a trough where they put the feed there for the animals. But he's wrapped in swaddling clothes and he's laid in a manger. 
The Lord said, the fox have holes and the birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. The Son of God who spoke life uh, and gave life, who's the sustainer of life, the giver of life, the sustainer of life, who gave the fox their holes and the birds their nests. God who's given us, uh, uh, you know, the comforts of life, given us houses to live in and clothes to wear and food on the table, etc. He had no place to lay his head. Don't just think about this scene in the month of December. I want you to think about this throughout the entire year because it goes to point out what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. He said, for we know the grace of God that though he was uh, poor, yet for our sakes, he was rich, excuse me, yet for our sakes he became poor that we through his poverty might become rich. This is just one little view of the poverty of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Son of God who spoke the world in existence, upholds all things by the word of his power. When he's born in this world as the son of man, he doesn't have anywhere to lay his precious head. The fox did, the birds did, but the son of man did not. That's the sign they were going to have. You'll find this child wrapped in swaddling clothes and laying in a manger. The angels attended the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. We come, Jesus Christ is baptized at the age of 30, and we find him on the mountain of temptation. And we find after the Satan's going to tempt him strongly three times. Christ will emerge victorious all three times by quoting scripture from the book of Deuteronomy each and every time. When it's all said and done, all over with, Satan has failed. Satan has tried to uh, derail the Lord Jesus Christ. He has failed. If I be the son of God, cast these stones into bread. The Lord said it's written, man shall live by bread alone. Not, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Well, what about going to the, up here to the temple uh, and cast yourself down from the pinnacle of the temple? Because it's written now, uh, the Lord quotes scripture, now Satan quotes scripture, but Satan is a master of adding to, taking away, and altering the word of God. And he takes away from the quotation in Psalms here, the expression, in all thy ways. He takes that out of there. The Lord said, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God from Deuteronomy. And then he takes him to a high mountain, shows him all the kingdoms of the world. Just bow down and worship me, if you'll do that. He said, I'll give you these kingdoms. And the Lord said, it is written in the book of Deuteronomy, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. And that just reminds me, uh, I won't come back to this, reminds me though of a verse in Revelation 22, when the apostle John bowed down to worship an angel. I'm going to tell you, no true angel sent from God out of heaven will allow human worship. And he bowed down to worship this angel, and the angel told him to get up and rebuked him. He said, worship God. We come to the house of God here. We come for one purpose, that's to worship God. We don't come to entertain. We don't come to be entertained. We don't come to honor men. We come here to worship God, honor him, praise him, glorify his wonderful and glorious name. Now, we go back there to Matthew 4. After this is all said and done, the Bible says that Satan left him for a season. And then an angel came down from heaven, strengthening him. God sent an angel to strengthen his son after that experience right there. We move over a little further to the Garden of Gethsemane, where the Lord goes and prays three times. He said, prays to the Father. He said, Father, be thy will, let this cup pass. Bible says he knelt down. It says he went about a stone's cast from the other disciples that he took with him, and he bowed down, and he knelt down, and he prayed, Lord, be thy will, let this cup pass, but if not, thy will be done. The Lord answered that prayer, 
It was the Lord's will, the Father's will, for the Son to drink the cup. He was going to have to drink that cup of sufferings. He was going to have to drink that cup of death. If he did not drink it, you wouldn't be here today. If he did not drink it, we'd have no hope of glory. If he did not drink it, we would not have a home in heaven. He drank it because I couldn't, I wouldn't be able to do that. And you wouldn't be able to do that. But Jesus did. He drank it. Thank God he drank that cup, right? To be thy will, let this cup pass, but not thy will be done. That's just showing the humanity of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was the Son of God, but also the Son of Man. He prayed three times. He fell upon his face and prayed three times. And after the third time, the Bible says an angel appeared, strengthening him. When the Lord Jesus Christ is crucified, he's put into a barred tomb. Three days later, we find where Mary Magdalene and the other women came to that sepulchre. And you're going to find where there's an angel there sitting upon a rock that's been rolled away. When you read the four accounts, you'll find they had this concern. Who shall roll the rock away for us? It was a large enough rock, the typical woman or women would not be able to roll that rock away. God took care of it for them. When they got there, it was already rolled away. God sent an angel to roll it away for them so they could see an empty tomb. And the angel sitting upon that rock asked him a question. He said, why seek you the living among the dead? Come see the place where the Lord lay. I think about that oftentimes. <laughs> thank God he did lay there, but thank God he's not there now. And when John chapter 20, you're going to find where you're going to find where Peter and John are given a message by Mary Magdalene, and they run to the sepulchre. And when they get there, the stone is away, the tomb is empty, and they look inside. You know what they saw? They saw two angels, one at the head and one at the feet, where Jesus had laid. Forty days later, forty days later, the Lord Jesus Christ will leave this world right outside of Jerusalem, a little town called Bethany. He will ascend right into heaven. And there will be some men in white. These are angels. And they're going to say to the men of Galilee, Why stand ye gazing into heaven? This same Jesus, he going away, shall in like manner come again. With him at his birth, with him at his temptation, with him in the Garden of Gethsemane, with him in his resurrection, with him in his ascension, and they're going to be with him in his second coming. As we read in Matthew chapter 25, when the Lord of glory shall come, he be as a king which is set upon the throne of his glory, and all of his holy angels shall be with him. I conclude this morning by going back for one final view of Revelation chapter 5. One final scene, one final view. 10,000 times 10,000 is 100 million, and thousands of thousands of angels around that throne, and they're praising God. They're glorifying the Lord. They had his command. They're ready to go anytime he sends them, wherever he wants to send them, and do whatever he wants them to do. The word angel is the middle part of the word evangelist. When you read, spell the word evangelist, what's right in the middle? Angel. <laughs> Messenger. The Lord's people expects, the Lord expects his people to have a burden, a desire for evangelism to be the messenger, to go where the Lord would send you, to ask for open doors and walk through those open doors and tell people and share with people about the goodness and the mercy of the Lord. Um, you know, I was talking to uh, Sister um, uh, Catherine 
Brother Herman Griffin's wife. Brother Herman's 89 years old now, been such a faithful soldier. He was able to get out to the service on Saturday morning just one more time. And that always reminds me of uh, the man who was so weak, he wanted to go to church. And he told his son to go by and get him. And he says, well, Father, he says, you know, you're not going to hear anything different than what you've heard all over the years. He said, that's the point. He said, I just want to hear it one more time. <laughs> I want to hear it one more time. It's been good in the past, it'll be good now. I want to hear it one more time. And she was talking about how before she was an old Baptist, that she, uh, well, excuse me, no, no, this was afterwards. Um, she was the time she wasn't, but this is, she is. And she's working with these people with the Cancer Society, and they wanted to have a meeting on Wednesday night, a follow-up meeting. And she says, um, uh, y'all want to have the meeting, go ahead. She said, but I can't be here. She said, we're having a prayer meeting at church on Wednesday night. Have a Wednesday night meeting, and I, I'm going to that. I won't be able to be here. They said, well, where do you go to church? She said, well, I go to Salem Primitive Baptist Church. It's a little small group of people uh, out here in the country and everything. And she began to tell a little bit about it. And uh, he said, the woman turned around to her mother and says, you know, that sounds like the kind of church uh, we've been wanting to go to. And so uh, she said, well, give me the address to the church. And lo and behold, they wound up going to the church. It wasn't long after that. They joined the church there and was faithful members till they died. All that came about because of this one set of circumstances when she said, I'm not going to be here, I'm going to be there. And that prompted a question. And that's why Peter said, you know, in 1 Peter 3, 15, Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready on every occasion to give an answer to everyone who asks you for a reason to hope that life within you. You never know when someone's going to ask that question or something related to that question, and you need to be ready to give the answer. She was ready. She was putting something first before something else. They liked that, and they liked everything that she said about it, and that's why she wound up there and why they united and why they spent the rest of her days there until she passed this scene of life. Thank you so much this morning for your prayers, as always, your encouragement, your support. Thank you for your good attention. You was a great congregation to speak to this morning.